0: Tom Shakespeare makes it clear that the contribution disabled people make to our communities and their potential to be an important part of those communities needs to be fully appreciated. For many of these individuals, becoming a parent is essential in order to be fulfilled and be part of the wider community. You'll now hear the testimonies of two women with differing disabilities who will talk about the challenges and the joy that motherhood has brought them. First, Mary, who has a physical impairment.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Oh, you disgusting child, put it back. (laughs) Have you got your shoes on? No. No, you're both disgusting, put it back. How does my day start? (laughs) Like most mothers, trying to drag myself out of bed and get ready, and then get the children ready and get them off to school and instil in them that... (laughs) They can't play for half an hour and still get to school on time. I think I think of myself as, as somebody who's never fitted any comfortable pigeonholes, really, because I'm an older, single parent who's disabled, and I have twins, and I've never met anybody else who quite fits into all of those categories.
1: What were you doing? We were playing... We we were were doing a play. Oh, what was it about?
2: Um, Animals. I really think that hardly a day goes by without disablement issues hitting me. Whether it's anxiety about, you know, my helpers coming, whether it's anxiety about the government deciding to cut benefits which may affect me, you know... Whether it's other people's attitudes, whether it's questions people ask me, whether it's struggling to get some new development that would make life better for disabled people underway and facing all the usual hurdles of disablism. Pink's not my
1: favourite colour anymore.
2: Isn't it? What is green? Oh, have
1: you swapped?
2: Yours is still blue. Two blue girls. <laughs> I think that when I did become pregnant, I was so overcome with joy about it that I wasn't prepared to see it as as problematic. I was extraordinarily lucky. I don't remember a single negative reaction to my being pregnant neither from family or friends, nor from the professionals. And it's the professionals bit, which is, I know, really unusual. But I just... It wasn't altogether luck. It wasn't altogether luck, because when I moved to the area I was in, I happened to have encountered a GP somewhere else who was very very left-wing, very radical. And so when I moved there... I did decide to go to his practice, but where I was lucky was that he wasn't the only one in his practice who was radical. They all were. In retrospect, their version of being positive towards a disabled person was rather much to treat me like any other mother or any other mother-to-be. And so, actually, they weren't addressing needs with me that it would have been wise to address. I think, particularly in relation to when I was actually delivering, and and also when I would be on the maternity unit. And and the fact that those things hadn't been addressed caused an awful lot of trouble, really. All right, girls, lunch is ready. Go and wash your hands for me, thank you. very very difficult i think that people who provide help and the general public have no idea how much hard work it entails to receive help particularly to receive help in your own home so okay there's the obvious thing of um You know, having to show every new person where you keep all your cleaning things and what it is you want done and all the rest of it. But you've also got to adjust to each individual person's personalities. And somehow you've got to accommodate their personality, their way of doing things and their needs and still carry on your life as you, you know, So I think it's enormously demanding to have help in your home. I'm acutely aware of how lucky I am to be somewhere where, given that... You know, I'm not living in an extended family, and given that community has broken down to a large extent, there is nevertheless a statutory provision to support me. Uh, I'm aware that that has been crucial. And for all that I might criticise the systems, which I do (laughs) regularly, I'm also aware of my indebtedness to having that system there, how important it is. (laughs) Sticky hands. Now, are you going to? Do you want to sing your song on the top of the bunk bed or not? (laughs) That you ended up singing this morning when I threw. If I was asked, you know, what central piece of advice would you ever give to another disabled person contemplating parenthood? I would say make very sure that you get yourself a good advocate, because I know I can't advocate for myself half as well as I can advocate for anyone else, and everyone I know says the same thing. And if I hadn't had an extremely good advocate with me, actually in the hospital when I was trying to get my care package set up, I think it would have been a major disaster, partly because she was already a parent and she knew what parenting meant, and partly because, you know, just after the birth of your children, your brain is like cotton wool. (laughs) <laughs> and You can't think it through properly for yourself. No. All right then. No way. No way. All right then. No because it's a real one.
1: Pardon? Because it's, it's a a real. real. It's real. It doesn't matter. Leo is real. All right then. And the song
2: was quite real actually. Mm, that's wasn't it? Yeah. It's rather good. I am afraid of increasing impairment, but not so much the impairment as the pain actually. The impairment itself isn't quite such an issue, because like I say I know all sorts of coping strategies, but I am afraid of the impact of increasing pain, uh, particularly on my capacity to um, earn my own living. So I'm not inclined to think the future's going to be easy anyway. I'm inclined to think the future's is going to be harder in many ways, but to imagine a future with my own children in it is a source of constant wonder to me. I mean I on a daily basis I have these kind of feelings, overwhelming feelings of wonder that that these two Wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful, thrilling, exciting children are my children. And I think that will always stay with me. I don't think I'll ever lose that.
1: Oh, dear me. Come on, I'm
0: taking
2: you to Amy, you Are you not? I am. You are? Not now. Yes,
0: no. Now listen to Kate. She has experienced mental health problems in the past. What should we do this afternoon? Mm, Go to the park. Go to the park? Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be
3: a mother. I thought it would be a wonderful experience. And that has been confirmed to me by by having a daughter. Barbie. Another Barbie. (coughs) Who who are Barbie's friends? And what's her boyfriend called?
2: Kenny. Ken.
3: Mm. Who's this?
2: Mm. My
3: little pony. My little pony. Well, as a child, I, I always had very strong maternal feelings. I liked playing with dolls. I had two younger sisters who I liked mothering. I've always liked children and I've always wanted children. And I think when I when I developed a mental health problem, I, I just couldn't see any way that I could possibly cope with children or, the, or that, in fact, anyone would want to marry me because I, I had all these awful labels. Um... So uh, I'd, I'd given it up, really. I mean, I didn't even know if I was going to live, let alone have children.
1: Guess what I saw
0: when I was the first one? Buds of snowdrops coming through, and they're white. Who was that at school?
3: Oh, snowdrops. How lovely. Like most people who have a, a long-term mental health problem, I've been given a number of diagnoses or, or labels. And I was described at one point as a well-known chronic schizophrenic, which is a pretty awful... Label to be given. So I've been told I have schizophrenia, I've been told I have schizoaffective disorder, which uh, seems to be schizophrenia and depression. (laughs) I've also been told I've I've had a psychosis, uh, a depressive illness, uh, an anxiety state, (laughs) sort of a mixture of all of them really. My husband knows what it's like to be on the receiving end. I mean, we've had our ups and downs, but he's been very, very supportive. We actually met. In the inpatient psychiatric unit, so we've seen each other at our worst. Probably like most first-time parents, we were quite anxious about our ability to cope, but we both wanted a child very much. And when we did m- meet with some very negative attitudes when we were considering having a child, and also when I was pregnant, and also when our daughter was, was first born, but I think the strength of our relationship, you know, help, helped us through that. I mean, my family, my parents and sisters, certainly when I was at my most ill, I mean, they really didn't know what to think. They really wanted me to be in hospital because then they didn't really have to worry about me. So there was some conflict there, although that has been resolved now. And also when I was thinking of having a, a child, they were very concerned. They didn't think I would cope. But I think it was more out of concern and worry rather than anything else. What have I got in my tummy, baby. A baby, yeah. Like Barbie,
1: Do you yeah. Know baby? she's got four sisters.
3: Oh, right. nice! I'm actually expecting our second child in a few months, um, which I'm very much looking forward to. I, I'm certainly have less qualms than, than the first time because obviously I wasn't sure on our ability to cope, but we're, we're very much looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to having a brother or a sister? You're not.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. I'll be six. Yes, you'll still be six.
1: Ah, out here. I want to go to another home.
3: Do you? I don't know if we'll have enough room here. One of the things that, that really added to our anxiety about our ability to cope was the attitude of, of a consultant psychiatrist. I was seeing him for the first time as, as we'd moved to a different area and I was asking advice on on taking medication during pregnancy and his response to that was that we actually shouldn't have children you know we'd be passing on defective genes and he also said if I became ill the child would be taken away no doubt about it I mean this obviously freaked me out quite a lot you know it's it's an anxious time anyway so it made me feel well it made me feel quite angry actually but also very very anxious my GP was very supportive Even though I'd moved, I was lucky to be able to keep the same GP. He'd also got to know my husband a bit as well and had seen us together. So he he was very supportive, yeah. Would you like a brother or a sister? Sister. Sister, yeah. What should we call her? Mm -hmm. What would you like her to be called? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, that's a nice name. I think... Like most mothers, I feel tired more often than I used to. That's normal. I mean, just just after my daughter was born, I did actually develop postnatal depression, and it was a different sort of depression or illness to that, that I previously suffered. And it actually went because of that. It actually went unrecognized for about nine or ten months. So I, I was actually postnatally depressed, <laughs> but because of my previous experiences, they they hadn't taken it seriously. Oh, you've got a doll, haven't you? You're going to look after your doll. He
0: poos and screams.
3: She does, that's right. She's very clever. She does. And eats. And I know where my
0: baby
3: can. Where's your baby going to go? In your bedroom. As well? (laughs) So I'll have to see to your baby and my baby. (laughs) I think she is aware. I mean, I don't think she has a concept of mental illness or, or mental health problems as such. I mean, she knows that I'm sometimes unwell, um, that, I, that I get stressed, that I sometimes need time out. She's very aware of that. I mean, I think in time her awareness will grow, but she, she seems very sensitive to how I'm feeling. I mean, she was just three years old and she came up to me and said, how are you feeling today, Mummy? You know, which was, which was quite, it was lovely to hear, actually. And I think it's actually helped me achieve more because I've got much more confidence in my abilities to cope, you know, having to think of another person the whole time, it takes the focus off, off yourself, which I think has, has been a good thing. I mean, there have been times when I've overstepped the mark and been totally stressed out, but that's, in a way, allowed me to know what my limitations were, which, again, is, you know, is, is a good thing. <laughs> oh, good girl. Yes, they're so quite heavy, aren't <laughs> they? You can't s-
1: snuggle. am I doing it. Oh, is it? Oh, it's all right up there. All right, let's take them out of the
3: bag. We now feel more of a normal normal family. When we're out and about, people see us as a family with a child. People see the child first and the family. We feel much more part of society, much more integrated, much more accepted. Hey, we're going to the park, are we? Do you want to go and get
0: your skates, then? Pop up and get them. Good girl. There are organisations to support parents like Kate and Mary and to ensure they get good information when they need it. The Disability, Pregnancy and Parenthood International Journal is a non-profit-making publication which aims at promoting better awareness and support for disabled people in pregnancy and parenthood. It also runs an information service. Through both these activities, it's been able to find out what issues really matter to its readership, which includes health and social work professionals and disability organisations. The organisation has no rigid criteria for the kind of individual it can assist, as Information Officer Becky Josiah explains.
3: We wouldn't define the category of people we could help. They can define themselves if they have a need and uh, a long-term health problem or condition they can call us and ask us for our information. Um, that would include people with mental health difficulties, learning disabilities, back problems, wheelchair users, or somebody with diabetes may ask us for information.
0: Lisa Nichols, also an information officer, has been with the DPPI from its inception. Here she comments on the kind of
1: service it provides and its role. It's very often the calls are... are... Urgent. Um, I think that the most urgent ones are quite often to do with child custody and um, children being put on at risk registers or being threatened with removal from families because there there is some sort of uh, familial disability, um, and there may be a case conference happening tomorrow, and people need very urgent and, and desperate. Uh, input and in, in terms of then their rights a lot of the inquiries include some aspect of there being a practical difficulty um, or the need to look at for particular types of equipment um, but that's usually combined with with other um, issues um, needing information about um, perhaps their own specific impairment or condition and the effects of pregnancy or um what they can expect what what they need to plan for um Are there support groups out there that you know they can get in touch with other disabled parents because they um, I think one of the issues is that disabled parents quite often feel very isolated and very much that they are the only person who's experiencing the same feelings or issues um, and to put people in touch with other parents is, is quite a, a powerful tool you know, lots of disabled parents are actually there for their children because maybe they're not working for example so they're there all the time, certainly we've heard of, of many disabled dads who have said you know, I spend a lot more time with my children than, than most dads do um, and that's a really you know, good thing to to uh, to bring out. But I think they're very motivated many many to say parents are very motivated and very keen to to be very positive parents.
3: From the Open University. For more information, go
0: to www.open.ac.uk/use.